This Shabbos parsh Vayakil. It's Vayakil itself. Vayakil usually together with Pekudei. When Vayakil is together with Pekudei, it causes a little bit of a confusion. Because Vayakil means in gathering, they gather together everybody. And all were one. And Pekudei is individual. Everyone counted individually. So, it's the Chayra, it's a stira. It's a contradiction. Vayakil and Pekudei. So how would they become together as one parasha? But this week we don't have to discuss that problem because we have it as separate entities. So we look at the Vayakil. Vayakil, Moshe, Moshe gathers together the Jews. What do you need? Climb, climb under, climb over. Something. Moshe gathers together the Jews, and that is what the Pasha is going to be talking about, the building of the of the Mishkan. We're dedicating this week's year, Lila Nishmas, Sol Chai, Ben Shlomo, Ben Miriam. His Yatzer is the Shabbos. Yatzer is on Chav Beis, the 22nd of the month. We know that we've discussed many times the significance of Chav Beis being number 22. Chav Beis is the amount of letters in the Olive Beis. And therefore, when we say somebody is Chav Beis, somebody is 22, we say that the person, therefore, goes to a complete cycle. When a person is nipped on the 22nd of the month, they're going through the complete cycle of all the letters of the Olive Beis of the entire Torah which the Torah cannot be written without the letters of the Olive Beis. And interestingly, we can find very simply a comparison in this week's Parsha to the life of this person of Yisrael Chai of Shlomo ben Miriam. Technically, this week's Parsha is a total repetition from what trans, what was only a few weeks ago in Pasha's Truma. All the vessels and the building of the Mishkan and everything that took place were already pre-mentioned. So why the repetition? They say when Napoleon Bonaparte once won a major battle, well, I have a request for calling again. So what we're going to do is going to Hang up a second, and we're going to recall all the lines because somebody didn't get in. So just going to disconnect for one second. I'm going to recall you. Just accept it again. Hold on. Wonderful world of text messages. Okay, much better. Now everybody's back on. Napoleon Bonaparte once won a major battle. When he won the major battle, he asked the different people that had joined his army what they want. And the fellow from Egypt said he wants to spare Egypt, and he wanted this one came from Bulgaria. 
he should spare Bulgaria, this one wanted from Ukraine, he should spare Ukraine. Everybody asked their country to be spared. And of course, Napoleon, being in good spirit at the time, said, sure, no problem. There was a little idol that also was in the uh, contingent. He said, what do you want? Really, he says, two bagels, cream cheese, a little bit of lox on the side. <laughs> Immediately, Napoleon sends out one of his uh, underlings, and the fellow comes back with this, the exact order. And the Jew is sitting there feasting, and all the other people are saying, You fool, you could have asked for a country. You could have asked for who knows what. This is what you asked for. We asked for countries, we were granted. He says, Yes, you were granted, but I got mine. I got mine in a physical vein. Yours is only a promise, a campaign promise. It's a whole different world. And we see the same thing with the Mishkan. A very interesting Pesach, the way the Pesach is worded. The people brought and brought and brought. It was Dayam, it was enough. Ve'oter, it was even more. Was it enough or was it too much? What is the Torah telling us here? Where is the Torah going with this? Fact is, it was too much. People brought and brought and brought. As soon as Moshe said, you know, you have to remember, you have to realize when you get a good, a good sales pitch on a novel thing, people come running. Certain organizations, certain things, people come running to. Oh, I want to help this organization. They had recently a uh, RCCS, right? The uh, Cancer Society. They had a Chinese auction online, and they had to split the pot. They split the pot. People, they said, "Okay, we're soon going to do. It, we're soon going to do. It. You can still buy. You can still buy tickets." The split the pot went up to two hundred and sixty thousand dollars, I think, or two thirty. I don't remember. Tremendous amount of money. Split the pot means that the organization gets half, and the winner gets the other half. Generally, they split the pot. The fifteen, a thirty, a thirty-five thousand. Wow, people are excited about this. Went up to over two hundred thousand dollars. Because it's unfortunately a very, very important organization that too many people were touched by. Here, when Moshe mentions the bringing of the Mishkan, people got very excited about this because of a few reasons. First of all, it's the tabernacle, it's the home of God. But even more so, they all knew that they were in very, very big trouble for the sin of the eagle, for the golden calf. And they knew they had to figure out a way to get forgiven for this. And they were told that donations towards the temple, towards the tabernacle, is going to forgive the sins. Well, how much better does it get than that? So immediately, they came with all full force to this. But unfortunately, Moshe was overloaded. He didn't know where to put everything already. What would happen, though, if you knew that your pile of gold was given to global gold and silver and it was melted down instead of being used for the Mishkan, it was used for who knows what. That would be devastating. Here I donated for the tabernacle and it went elsewhere. So the Torah tells us that a beautiful thing was done here. Vihoter was too much, but still dayam. It was managed to incorporate everything. Moshe didn't leave anything out. Everything that was brought was put in 
everything that was brought was used, even though technically it was too much. Generally, when couples immigrate, when they come from a different country, they have a very, very hard time getting things together. You have some people that come and they immigrate and they have family here that helps them out, puts them on their feet, sets them up, gives them in business. Wonderful. But then you have those that need to use their hands and need to use their mind, need to use their kayak, need to use everything they have to get through the week and to raise their children. And in this case here, sometimes... There was almost the hotel, there was almost a lot of, when there was more cars sold, or when there was more business during the course of the week, when something was done better than usual. But ultimately it was all dayam. Nobody ever felt they were lacking, nobody ever felt that they were deprived, that they were not looked after, not cared for. And this ultimately... Of course, also a person passing away on Shabbos is a tremendous thing also. Because on Shabbos, the gates of Gehenna are closed. And therefore, the only place the Neshama can go is directly to Gan Eden. And so too, on a yard set on Shabbos, where the Neshama is in, on Shabbos goes into the Gan Eden already, it goes even higher, it gets elevated that much higher. So the Vahotel, where technically it's overload, Dayam, was managed to fit into the entire picture. We find also a very strange description of the way Jews behave sometimes. When they were told enough, it says, They stopped bringing. They stopped bringing. And we find this word, one other time in the Torah. When it came to the rain of the Mabel, it says, It finished raining. It stopped raining. Sometimes, we all know that most, most time, prosperity comes from rain. When it rains, the fields are irrigated better, and things grow better, things are better for the Panasa. We say always about rain, rain is Gishmei Bracha. Sometimes though, the child that was walking, he was given, he didn't want to go to shul. His mother says, here's two coins. One gifted tzedakah in shul to charity, and the other one will be for you, because you went to shul. And he's walking to shul, and he's thinking what he's going to do with this quarter, with his half dollar, whatever it was. And as he's walking, he trips, and one of the coins falls out of his hand, and falls into the sewer. And he stands up and he brushes himself off and he looks at his hand and he sees only one coin left. He looks up to heaven and says, God, there goes your coin. So sometimes the tzedakah coin, sometimes the money of the tzedakah is the first to go. And therefore, when the rain stops, the people stop to bring, they stop to give tzedakah, they stop to do what they have to do. And it's a big problem. It's something that a person has to remember that this is the first priority. Priority is at home with tzedakah. Priority is with making sure that others have, making sure that you don't deprive anybody else. 
The Mishkan, though, had another very, very interesting message for us. Who were the architects? The Torah tells us there was a fellow named Bitzalil, a fellow who was Ish. And the reason it says he was Ish because he was 13 years old. He was an architect for the Mishkan. He was the main architect. Why did we use him? Fashion tell us because it shows us no one is too young when it comes to building the Mishkan. As soon as someone is obligated for mitzvahs and Torah, they have to start devoting themselves to the house of God. Bitzal came from Shevet Yehuda. Bitzal came from Shevet Yehuda. Aliyav. Aliyav was the other partner that he had, the Pasuk says. And Aliyav came from Shevet Don. Let us analyze Yehuda and Don. Shevet Yehuda. Yehuda was the king. Shevet Yehuda was always the forerunners. They went and traveled in the front. Oh, where's my flower? Where's my flower? On Skype, I can't get my flower. It's not fair. I can't hear you, though, because I have the speaker off. You'll tell me after. (laughs) Shevet Yehuda was known as the Shevet. They traveled in the front. They were the forerunners. They went in the front ones. Shevet Don was known as the Hashavah Saveda crowd. They had the lost and found in Shevet Don because they traveled in the back. They were in the back of the bus. They say Sammy Davis Jr. said he was half Jewish. And he got on a bus once in Florida and the guy driver looked at him was a racist. I said, go to the back, black man. He said, but I'm Jewish. He says, get off. Shevet Dunn was in the back. They were officially not the speediest of the bunch. Tells us the tale that who built the Mishkan, where were the architects from? Both from Yehuda in the front and from Dan in the back. And the Mishkan would have no existence, says God, if you would not have taken everybody. If you would not have incorporated everybody. Everyone had to be part of the construction. So the construction of the Holy Temple, the Holy Tabernacle, can only exist if all Jews from all walks of life are involved in the Mishkan. And sometimes people say, okay, I have my Judaism at heart, and they don't necessarily want to involve themselves, over-involve themselves. However, when they let a mezuzah be hung up on their door, it's a big step. When they let mezuzahs be hung up suddenly on all their doors in their house, it's even a bigger step. So I remember when I went to Yisrael Chai's house, and I put up mezuzahs all over the house, I was looked at a <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I was looked at a little, a little crooked, a little... But Baruch Hashem, the mezuzahs were hung, the mezuzahs were up, the mezuzahs protected, and the house took on a t- total different look 
So we have to understand that this is just what it means. We don't look at anyone and say to them, you're lower Jew than I am. All Jews are having the neshama, neshama tahira, neshama tahira, shenasatami, and therefore everyone is equal. Everyone is from the same, everyone is family, everyone is loved. Kol achim, achenu, we are brothers, we are sisters. And this is what the Holy Temple told us. This is what the, the building of the tabernacle shows us, how everything comes together only when everybody is there together. And one of the vessels mentioned in this parsha is the famous part, is the kir. The kir was the faucets that the Kahanim washed their hands and feet with. In order to go in to do Aveda in the Mishkan, they had to wash their hands and feet. It was a talented, must have been like an acrobatic act, because they had their hands on their feet, and they washed their hands and feet together. The hand and the foot, the hand and the foot. It's better than a lot of people today who put their foot in their mouth. At least they just had their hand and the foot together. Who made it? Who donated for the kiyar, says the Pasuk? The Tzavah says, Rashi, who is this gathering? Who are these people? The women. And Rashi tells us, women donated only for this thing itself. The kiyar was built only from the donation from the women. What did they donate? They donated their mirrors. The mirrors that they used in Mitzrayim to beautify themselves for their husbands. The vain, vain mirror was what they donated now, the copper, for the building, the making of the kiyar. And the Shekhinah loved this. God loved this. So we have three questions. What does it mean the women gathered? Why did they have to gather? Why did they tardy over there? Secondly, Why did Hashem love this so? And thirdly, what was the idea that they made only the cure from this? Especially the cure. You go to a child, and you ask the child for something, and the child, I want something, I want a prize for the... uh, function that we're making for the Chinese auction, something we're doing, what do you have, a game that you, in your room, that you can give for the raffle? So most children will go to the room and they will look at something that is very, very rarely used, something they don't like, they don't really have any endearment to, and they'll donate that item. The special, special neshama will take the most precious doll, or the most precious game, or in some cases the most precious flower, and they will give that precious flower as a gift. The women gave their mirrors. They were full of trepidation. Would Hashem actually accept this? Moshe himself said, such a vain item I'm going to use for the Mishkan. 
And therefore, Asfu, the women waited around. They waited around to hear what would be the answer, what would be the heavenly decree or the heavenly acceptance. And they finally heard from Moshe that God said, Yes, I want this gift. I love this gift. This is a gift that I truly love. Why do I truly love this? Because it was given from the bottom of their heart. It was given with all their full love and and emotion. And full of devotion. It was given full-heartedly. And therefore, this a gift I want to accept. So therefore the women stayed longer, they tardied, and Hashem Dafka loved it. Another reason for the kir, another reason for the water from the kir, was a woman that was suspected, a Isha Saita, that the husband suspected that perhaps she was living with another man. And he warned her several times, and after warning her, she still went and still was together with this man in a private place. If this happens, says the Torah, the woman is brought to the Beis Hamikdash. They take a part of the Torah, parchment, and they erase the letters and they scratch off the letters and they put it into this potion. And what's part of the potion? The water that's taken from the kier. And then the woman is made to drink this. If, God forbid, she sins, the Gemara tells us, her stomach bloats and she explodes. But if indeed it was not true, and she was only suspected out of no reason, many, many blessings come upon the woman from drinking this water. And therefore this water, this kir provides the water, to differentiate the tzaddikis, the pure woman, and the unpure woman. The woman that does everything for God, devoted for God, and the woman that didn't. And that's therefore the union of the concept of the kir that accepted donations from the women, and why God loved it so. But we go back to the original question by Yaakov, the repetition of what happened before. I already mentioned in Pasha's Truma why he repeated. There are many things that we have to repeat. There are many times we have to repeat things in Torah, many times we repeat things to our students, to our children, and they still don't get it. <laughs> the famous story of the Vashemtev. Vashemtev had different groups of students in his courtyard, in his Bismedish. There was the group known as the Chavraya Kadisha, the very, very holy and learned group. And the Baal also reached out to anyone, the simple Jew, quote-unquote. He reached out to the simple Jew because he told them, you have an Hashem Tahira. And I'm not interested in saying that there has to be a shul for for the cobblers and a shul for the blacksmiths and the shul for the, the horse, horsemen. No. By me, everyone comes to my shul. There was one time a week, which was Shalashudas, Sudash Lishit, on Shabbos afternoon, that only the Chavrayi Kadisha were allowed in. 
One of the beautiful times was Matzai Shabbat Malav Malka. There was one chassid who was a truly devout chassid. But he had all of a sudden very strange inkling. He wanted to study magic. He wanted to study the esotericals, how we could use them for magical causes. Which is not what the terror is for. And he had made a decision that that next morning, Sunday morning, he was going to leave the Bismedish, the courtyard of the Bashemtav. He had made arrangements and he met with these different types of black magic people. And he was off to go to study this new life. Because the Torah is beautiful to him, the Torah was great, and the Torah is accomplishing, and whatever it might have been for him, but there was something lacking that he couldn't bite into. And it was this Malava Malka that would be the last that he sat by the Bashanta. And suddenly, he started to feel very hot. He didn't tell anybody about this. But it started getting very hot. There was sitting, the Bashanta was talking, and the room was getting, it was horrific, it was stifling. And he took off his fur hat, his traimo, whatever he was wearing. And he couldn't take it anymore. He took off his, his coat, his kebekesha. But as he looked out the window, you could see a howling snow that was falling. But he was stifling, he was choking. And as it went, he got further, he couldn't take it anymore. He said, Rabbi, I must go out to get some fresh air, I can't take it anymore. And Vashanta said, but don't go out too long because you'll feast to death out there. A minute maybe, but not more. He says, of course not, Rebbe. And he ran outside and he was just about to pass out because he was so overheated. He got outside and he started to get the wind and the fresh, the cold air. Still didn't suffice. He opened his shirt and he started to put snow on him. And it didn't help. All of a sudden he just felt himself he needed to run free. And he began to run and to run and he ran and he slowly ran into the forest and he sees the trees are passing him by as he's running and running and running. And finally he collapsed. And as he collapsed, he had no idea where, when or what. When all of a sudden he wakes up and he sees a farmer and his wife and they're standing there and say, you're still alive, we can't believe it, we thought for sure you were dead. And the farmer is sitting there, and they're talking, and they're nurturing him, and they bring him back to life, and he begins to work on the farm. And he's working on the farm, month, two months, three months, and the farm suddenly starts to flourish. And it's flourishing like never before. And it's flourishing to such an extent that this little farm ultimately went from farm to estate. It became an estate. And the farmer said to the man, listen, my young man, I know you don't know your name, you never know where, you, what you're, where you're from or anything, but I must tell you that, like says in the Torah by Yosef, he was a Ishmael Tzliach. Everything he touched made him success. He says, you're very, very talented and you're very, you would do wonderful in the army. 
And they just saw in town that they're looking for soldiers, they're looking for people. And so, lo and behold, the young man goes and he accepts the position of the army, he gets accepted immediately, he passes the physicals, he passes all the tests, and he joins the army. And as he joins the army, battles and wars and fights and etc., and near-death experiences don't are not lacking. He goes through one after the other after the other. After many, many years, it's almost 12 years now, he decides one day, he takes his battalion, he's a general now, we're going for a march, a three-day march. They wake up early in the morning, they go on their three-day march, and they find themselves surrounding the shul of the Balshemtov. And he tells all the men, it's at night now, light your torches. And they all light their torches, and the entire place lit up like it was middle of the day. And he dismounts his horse, and he unsheaths his sword, they see Matt would love this vocabulary tonight, and he starts to pound on the door, and as he's pounding on the door, he's being ignored. And he's pounding in the name of the king, I am commanding you open this door immediately. And he throws his sword down and he starts banging with both hands. And he hears inside, he hears someone's talking. They're in there, how dare they have the audacity not to open the door. All of a sudden, the Vashem opens the door. This is a Matra. You're still out there? It's almost five minutes already. You're going to freeze to death. Get in here. Swatter Malchah, I'm a general of the army. I'll have you beheaded. I'll have my whole army come attack you. And he turns around to call the army to attack. There's nothing there. There's no army. There's no soldiers. There's no horses. There's no torches. There's no swords. He himself is not wearing his army uniform anymore. Immediately he realized that it was stuck at five minutes, what he thought was 12 years. And all this transpired, but it was not real. He realized when it comes to sorcery, he's not going to learn more outside of the Bashantas four, four cubits, outside of the Bashantas Dalaramas. So therefore here too the Torah repeats and shows us and reiterates and reminds us how this is what Torah is all about. The Al-Tareb had a student once that the Chassidim were complaining about. They were complaining he's very haughty, he's a Bilbagaiva, he's a this, he's a that. He's always giving his opinion, he's always interjecting his opinion, he always thinks he's the smartest. We can't take him anymore. And so the Bashem said, the Altarebbe said, sorry, may his end be like the person in the Gemara. Oh my gosh. The Chassidim were devastated. Because they badmouthed this Chassid, the Altarebbe cursed him. His end should be like the end of the person in the Gemara. The Altarebbe saw they were confused and befuddled, didn't know what he was talking about. And he explained to them, the Gemara tells us a story 
There are three mitzvahs in a field. If a person owns a field, there are three mitzvahs that are integral to the field. Leket, Shikha, and Peya. Leket is the, for the pieces that fall as the person gathered together and he didn't pick those pieces up. They have to leave that for the poor person. Shikha, once all the bundles are all wound up together and the person collects all his bundles according to the rows in his field and he leaves a bundle behind, it has to stay for the poor person. And Peya is the corners of the field. The poor person has to have not more than 200 zuz. If he has more than that, he's not considered poor enough to take. And says the Gemara, if someone has more and takes... In the end, he'll become a poor person. Salat Rebbe said about this chassid, that if he acts like such a special man, and he acts so holy, and he acts like such a big Talmud Chacham, and he acts like such a chassid, and he acts like he's better than everybody else, in the end, it'll happen like that happens to the man. Just like that man became poor because he acted like he's poor, he's going to become a tzaddik just like he acts like he's a tzaddik now. So we see even the words of a tzaddik, nothing goes wasted, nothing goes down. Nothing is chas in any which way contorted to bad. <coughs> so what is the difference, vayakel and truma? In truma, it tells us about the different vessels, how they were made, how they had to be this, how this had to happen, and this had to happen. Here, Vayakel Moshe, not Vayedaber Moshe, Moshe spoke to the Jews. Not Daber, not a lotion of Tzav, of commanding. Vayakel, he gathered everyone together, and he told them, here now we are getting to a point where Hamaisa Huaikel, the main thing is to do, not just to say. A Jew at heart stopped on somebody in the street and they said, Are you Jewish? He says, Yes. Would you like to put on tefillin? He said, no. I said, why not? You're Jewish. I'm a Jew at heart. I said, my friend, the Torah is five books of Moses. Then there's Shulchan Aruch. There's Rambam. There's Gemara. Judaism is so, so, so big. Your heart is the size of your fist. You're putting all this Judaism on that one little heart? It's going to plot. P.S. He didn't put it on film. At least not that day with me. I'm sure he went afterwards and he put it on with somebody else. Or a day later decided to buy his own and started putting it on every day. Because I'm sure my words penetrated his heart. How else? If I didn't, I wouldn't stop talking a long time ago. Vayeos. The name of the game here in Pashas. Vayakels Vayas. They did it. In Truma they were commanded. In Vayakel they were gathered and they did. It was not just words. It didn't just stay words. It was action. And this is the lesson of the Parsha. Action speaks. One Action is worth more than a thousand words. Speaking of words, I don't know if I said it before, saw in someone's status, I think it was, 
What we are is God's gift to us. What we become is our gift to God. So, we have to be very careful how things have to happen. The parasha begins, though, talking about the different work that had to be done in the Mishkan, amongst which, immediately in the beginning of the parasha, Sheishes Yomim Teose Melocha. Six days, work should be done. Or may be done. And on the seventh, you rest. What's wrong with the other expression, Sheishes Yomim Tavid? Six days work, and the seventh day rest. What's the Teose? It should be done. There's a famous story as well. A chassid of the Mitle Rebbe. The Mitle Rebbe was the Alter Rebbe's son. The chassid was extremely involved. He was selling boots, footwear, and he was extremely involved in his business, entrenched in his business, the word. So the Rebbe said that the tanners I the cup in the Kaloshan. Don't put your head into the boots. Your head has to be here and your boots have to be there. When you're sitting and learning Teda, you're sitting and learning Teda. When you're davening, you're davening. When you're in business, you're in business. You don't incorporate in your davening, in your learning and everything, your boots. Because then your head is in your boots. There is no better keli, says, no better vessel, says the Yamara, than peace. Shalom. And the first and most important peace is Shalom Bayis. No, those who think that I was instructed to say this has nothing to do with anything. But Shalom Bayis is what it's all about. And this is where the tale of the Pusik starts. You should not burn a fire, kindle a fire in your houses. On Shabbos, one may not light a fire. Why all of a sudden? It's superfluous. We know we're not allowed to light fires on Shabbos. It's one of the Lamates Malachas. Let us scrutinize Lamates Malachas. Let us scrutinize where does fire come from. On Matzah Shabbos, the Jews have a wonderful custom. They light two candles together. They make the Havdalah candle. Today they became very, very beautiful and sculptured. And they put their finger, their hands together and they make a bracha. And it has to shine on the nails because the nails are the only thing that remains from Adam Arishan. Adam body, when he was in Ganeidin, was all nails that we have on our fingertips. That's how his whole body was. And when after the Chetet Sadas, it only ended up on our fingertips and our toes. So therefore, since Matzah Shabbos, of the first Matzah Shabbos after the world's creation, Adam Rishon took two stones and made fire. So therefore we have this custom. 
So when was fire made in essence? Only after the six days. So I would perhaps think that since this had nothing to do with the six days of creation, I'm allowed to do it on Shabbos. Because it was only made after the whole seven days of creation. After Hashem rested on the seventh day. So therefore we need the Torah to tell us Le Sevaru Eish. But if we take the word Sevaru Eish Bechel Meish Sevaru, the last letter is Vav. Eish, the last letter is Shin. Lamed is Bechel. Meish is Mem. Which is an acronym for the word Shalom. Generally, on most households, during the week, man works, wife works, busy with the work, with jobs, with the children, with the household needs, with everything that goes on, really there's not much time to fight. Come Shabbos Kodesh, nothing's happening. There are no phones, no cell phones, no internet, no Skype. Nothing, nothing's going on. We're just sitting at home, around our beautiful Shabbos table basking in the light of the Shabbos candles and feasting on the wonderful delicacies prepared for Shabbos, sating ourselves with the aromas of the beautiful chalas and the cooking. What could happen? Things could stir up. It could get fiery. It can get hot under the collar. What's hot under the collar? Eish. So if a fight between a husband and a wife would be Shalom Bayez, would be a Leisevaru Eish. On Shabbos where everything should be peaceful and beautiful and lovely, don't start a fire. Don't start fighting now with your husband and the wife. Beautiful thing that they say once, an 86-year-old fellow came to the doctor for a checkup. He was in perfect, perfect health. doctor said, what's your secret? He says, I, doctor, when I got married, my wife and I made up a decision. If ever, God forbid, there's a fight between us, one of us walks outside. Rather than fight, rather than bicker, one steps outside until we both calm down. Doctor, I'm married for 62 years. I'm out in the street breathing fresh air for 62 years. You expect me not to be healthy? Of course I'm healthy. This is Leisavaru Eish Bechelma Shvetsechem Seif Tevish Sholem Don't start up a fire. Don't send, Don't light up a fire. Stir up a fire in the house. Keep the Shalom. Keep the Shalom Bayis. Also it says that the candles that were lit are lit for Shalom Bayis. So that the person can see what goes on in the house People didn't have lights in the olden days. Today's days also people don't have lights. If you have a nice storm and you live on Long Island, you don't have lights. You don't pay the bill, you don't have lights. People don't have lights. They rely on the candles. Bitsalel had a very, very unique method says, Ulahoyrais Nasan. There were many different families that did different jobs in the Mishkan. There was one family that brought the Kutairas, they were experts at making the incense. 
There was another one that was famous in making the lechem upon him. And they were, they, they were experts. But they were also selfish. They never shared the idea how to do it. Bitzal had no problem teaching everybody everything he was doing. This was the greatness of Lahira Yisnosan. That Bitzal was a step ahead, a step on top of everything that he gave and he made sure that everybody knew what was going on. Procrastination is not a good idea though. And we see that the heads of the tribes decided to procrastinate. When they were told everybody's bringing donations to the building of the Mishkan, they said, you know what, let everybody bring, and what's left over, we'll, we'll, we'll supplement, we'll fill in for everybody. Little did they know that everybody brought so much that when it came to them to bringing, they said, well, no, we don't need it anymore. Your donation was superfluous. We don't need your donation. But they did come, the Pasuk says, we have an ha'anoshim al ha'anoshim. The men came on the women. What is on? And she said, with the wives. What's on? A woman, generally, everything that a woman earns belongs to the husband. So for a woman to give a contribution, a tzedakah, she can give a dollar, two dollars. She can give a small donation. To give a substantial contribution, though, the woman has to have the husband's permission. And here, when it came to contributing to the Mishkan, they wanted to give substantial. However, they were concerned that if they came with a big donation, they came with their biggest pieces of jewelry, perhaps the people in charge of collecting would say, I'm sure your husband doesn't want you to give that, please bring something smaller. Therefore, the Torah tells us, they came with their wives because the wives wanted to make sure that they can get clearance that the husbands will approve what they're giving is going to be the right amount. But there's another word to this. The women, if we remember when it came to the sin of the golden calf, Arnakayin, said, go to your women, go to your wives, and take their jewelry. Take from them the gold and silver, take from them the gold, and we'll make a holiday. Now, Terah tells us, Medish tells us, Chazal tells us, the reason he sent them to the women was because he knew the women were not giving him anything. We discussed, the women gave them a rolling pin on the head. So then what was the case here? The women did not sin, therefore, by the sin of the golden calf. But the men did. Now it came to a point where the men were giving donations for repentance of the golden calf. They were doing tshuva for this. So although the women were tzidkonius, they were righteous women, the men now in essence were balei tshuva. And b'makim she balei tshuva ain't the main tzidikim g'mulim g'chel namit. 
won't say what the Gerer uh, says. In the place where the Balchuva stands, the Tzadik Gomer cannot reach, cannot ascertain. And therefore, by becoming now a Balchuva, the husbands now Hanoshim, Al Hanoshim, they were higher than the women were. And that's why the Pasuk uses the expression Hanoshim, Al Hanoshim, that they were a step higher than what the women actually were, even though they were Tzadikim. So therefore we see ultimately the lesson of the Pasha and it fits in so well with the Yahrzeit and the Yahrzeit on Shabbos the person that passed away on a Shabbos that the God loves all his children equally. God does not ask you God would like to see that the person does everything he asks of him but if a person doesn't he knows the person had a reason. And therefore, when the person comes to the Maila, the person, the Neshama, is embraced equally. And the Neshama is given an Aliyah each time as it elevates higher and higher and higher. And that's why on the, when there's a Yad site, the people say the Chayim, that the Neshama should have an Aliyah. The Neshama should go from one stage to the next, higher and higher, and believe it or not, in, in Heaven... There's no limit to how much higher and higher one can go. And therefore, we wish here too that the Neshama should have an Aliyah and should be a Guta better as we call it. He should stand in the, ste- in the stead of his wife. She should have a long life, happy life, sweet life. And Shlomo should have Nachas from him, from his children, from his wife. And really should be happy in life with a husband, with children. And it's this way that the father is looking down at you and he will proudly say that this is what I meant to raise. This is what I was blessed with. This is my riches here in this world of the Vayakel as we all gather together and we will gather this Shabbos in Yerushalayim, Yerakadosh, and we should all see, as the Novi says, that the Sheikh Neofar will stand and sing, and they will dance, and they will praise God, and He will be amongst them, and we will all go to Yerushalayim, and we will all go to Yerushalayim,